saints it's good to see you all as we gather for worship on this lord's day i hope you guys are staying relatively cool it's very hot right now but i hope 
Um, we do have air conditioning here, so I hope you're staying uh, very, uh, as cool as you possibly can. It's good to see you this morning for worship. If you're visiting with us, we're very happy to have you with us here uh, at Providence. Um, we hope that you are warmly received by our congregation, that you are richly blessed uh, by the service today. Before we begin our service of worship, friends, we do have a few announcements. I will be on vacation uh, starting tomorrow until uh, through next week, so we'll be on vacation for a week, so please pray for me and my family. Uh, as we're off. Also, next week there will be no evening service. Uh, next week we will celebrate communion, so I won't be here, but we are going to uh, observe Holy Communion next week, but there will not be a fellowship meal. Uh, so no fellowship meal uh, next week, but we will have uh, communion next week. We are welcoming uh, Pastor Rick Box back to the pulpit, so please pray for him uh, as he comes uh, to fill in. Also, if you would, please keep on your minds and your hearts the various prayer requests that are listed there in the insert in your bulletin. This week, our family of the week is the Akorafor family, so please uh, pray for Apia and Chinwi and Okay, Chigozi and Chamela uh, this week. And also, just be mindful of various prayer requests that are listed there. One additional item I would like to mention is uh, Tony and Chris Duby. You may have seen the email that went out this week. Chris Duby's parents are and very ill, dealing with very ill health, very difficult health issues, namely cancer. And so uh, the doobies have a lot on their plate right now dealing with Chris's parents. So please pray for Tony and Chris and uh, for her parents uh, as well. Well, friends, we have gathered here in the name of Christ to worship the only true and living God. As the music plays now, let us prepare our hearts to worship him. To the saints of Providence Presbyterian Church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would now please stand as we hear God call us to worship him from Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Let us now sing the doxology. bless you, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for you have searched us out, that we might know and love you with all of our being. We pray, O God, that you would receive us this morning in the name of Christ, that we might rejoice in his mighty acts of redemption, 
to Christ, who is our eternal inheritance, and to you, O Father, and to the Holy Spirit, be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you would now turn in your hymnals to Psalm 67a, O God to us, show mercy, Psalm 67a. seated. We'd like to invite you now to turn to the front of your Trinity hymnal on page Roman numeral 16. On page Roman numeral 16 at the front of your hymnal, there you will see a list of the Ten Commandments, which we will recite out loud together. And as we do so, friends, let us remember that the Ten Commandments teach us how to love God with all of our being and how to love our neighbor as ourself. And it reminds us of the way in which Christ has fulfilled the law in our stead and has removed the curse of the law from us by his death. And so, as we read the Ten Commandments together, let us be spurred on to a greater thankfulness for what Christ has done for us. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Well, beloved, having now heard God's law, let us confess our sins to God together by reciting the prayer of confession that is listed in the insert in your bulletin. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you. Claiming to be wise, we have become fools. We exchange the truth about God for a lie. We have worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. We have been filled with all manner of unrighteousness. We are full of envy, murder, and deceit. We are gossips and slanderers. We are insolent, boastful, foolish, faithless, and heartless. Forgive us, we pray, by the blood of Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Well, beloved, the gospel declares most assuredly to believers that all of your sins have been forgiven, that they have been covered over by the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. And God gives his people assurance of this fact in his word, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Amen. If you would now turn with me in your hymnals to Psalm 16a, Preserve Me, O My God, Psalm 16a, and let's all stand together as we sing.
you may be seated. I'd like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We have been going through uh, the book of Philippians now for a few weeks. So we will be here for a while in the, in the morning uh, series. Of course, next week we'll take a break. I'll be on vacation. But uh, today we will look at Philippians chapter uh, 1, verses 21 through uh, 24. And we are going to look at the second part of Paul's wonderful statement in verse 21, where he says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Last week we looked at what it meant for Christians to take this slogan upon their lives, to live as Christ. Today we're going to look at what it means to, uh, to say to die is gain. And so Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 24, uh, beloved, before we hear God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Please pray with me. Father, we pray, O oh God, that you would remember your word to your servants. For these are the words that we hope in, O Lord. God, when we are afflicted, it is your word that gives us comfort in life. Your commandments are the songs in our mouth as we sojourn through this life on earth. And so we pray, O God, that you would bless us by your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's holy name. Amen. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse uh, 21. I would like to read through verse 26. This is the word of God. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. As we've already said this morning, we are going to consider the second part of Paul's powerful statement in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. To die is gain. That is what we are going to look at today. For the Christian, what does it mean to die? Last week we considered what it meant to live. What does it mean to live as a Christian? And partly we looked at it means to seek to glorify Christ in this body, in this physical flesh until we die or until Christ comes again. We saw that our soul already is oriented towards heaven. It is made to think on heaven, to think about heaven. It's looking toward heaven, but the physical flesh in which this soul resides is broken. It dies. It fades away. But while we live, we use this body to glorify Christ, to magnify him. To make him look good in our service to God, in our service to other people. That is what it means to live as a Christian. Well, now we are considering what it means to die. 
Now, first thing we should consider is what death is not for Paul. Paul is talking about death here. What is he not saying here? That is what I'd like to look at first. Death was not, for Paul, a way out. It was not as though Paul was so overcome by his pain and suffering in this life that he looked at death as a kind of medicine to cure him of everything that he faced as a Christian, as an apostle, on this side of the grave. He looked at death, in other words, as an end to his suffering. That is why he wanted to die. This, that is not how Paul viewed death. And how do we know this? Well, verse 18, two times Paul says that he was joyful being alive. He was joyful. He says, Christ is proclaimed and therefore I rejoice. And then he says it again. And yes, I will rejoice. And then he spends several verses explaining why he can rejoice. And this is partly what we're looking at here. He can rejoice because to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so he was joyful. That's the point. He was not depressed. He was not looking for a way out from what he had suffered, what he was suffering as an apostle. He was joyful. He says, I'm glad and rejoice. Later on, he says, I'm glad and rejoice. And he invited the, the Philippians to rejoice with them. So he's joyful. Now, how could Paul say this in the midst of all that he was suffering and in, the, in chains for the gospel, how could he say things like this? Well, possibly, and also possibly facing death by execution. Well, he, he could rejoice still, despite, in the midst of these circumstances, because of what he says in the first part of verse 21. To live is Christ. And so even through his suffering, Christ is being magnified. And Paul, as an apostle as a mature Christian, recognizes that and understands that his suffering is part of how Christ does that, how Christ glorifies himself in the church. And so he can rejoice to live as Christ, meaning in his suffering for the church, Paul grew in his knowledge of Christ and he was drawn closer to Christ and his suffering. And because of those things, he could rejoice, he could be glad. He was drawn closer to Christ himself, to the risen and living Christ. That is our, soar, our source of true joy, of true gladness. In chapter 3, he says this about living in this life. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He goes on to say there that gaining Christ meant knowing Christ more and more. Knowing Christ more and more and becoming acquainted more and more with the power of his resurrection. Now there, Paul was talking about how he gained Christ more and more in this life, on this side of the grave. He suffered for him, and this gave him joy. Christ gave him joy. And so again, Paul wasn't looking for death so his present misery could end. That is not why he desired death here. Now, in saying this about Paul, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, and Scripture doesn't say this, that that doesn't take place at your death. Your misery in this life does end at death. And that is part of what Christ has secured for us, the end of suffering in this life at death to move on to the next life. 
At death, your misery in this life does come to an end. And sometimes, as Christians, we feel pain beyond what we think we can endure. Now, in those moments, we might be over-exaggerating our pain, which is fine, or the pain might just be too hard to bear. It might just be that difficult for you at times. The psalmist often speaks of this kind of experience as a as part of the people of God. Paul even said this in his second letter to the Corinthians about uh, when he and his friends experienced severe affliction in Asia. He was writing to the Corinthian church and he was talking about the suffering that he and his companions had had experienced at, at one point. He said this, We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And so at that moment, Paul and his companions and his companions, they did think that God had sentenced them to death. They thought that this was the end. There's too much to bear here. It must be that we are not going to survive. But they did survive. And Paul goes on to say that through that suffering, God taught them to rely on him all the more. He taught them to rely on God's grace uh, all the more. And so we do go through times like this. Intense pain where we think, surely this has to end, and the only way this can end is to die. And so that does happen. But go, if we go back to the Philippian letter here, go back to this letter again, Paul was not saying this here, though. He was not saying, to me, to die is gain only or even primarily because death would end his suffering. That's not what he is saying here. And so that's one of the things I would like to point out here. The other thing that we should think about here is that death for the Christian is not soul sleep. Your conscience, consciousness doesn't end. It, it doesn't, it's not put on hold when we die. It is not as though we are unconscious after death until Christ returns and then we wake up. It's not a prolonged nap when we die. Now Paul and Jesus do compare death to sleeping. In fact, what we just read in the assurance of, of forgiveness, death is compared to uh, sleep. That's what we see in Holy Scripture. But this is only an analogy. It's a comparison. When we are asleep in the physical world, we are, in a sense, dead to the waking world. Everyone else who's awake has no conversation with the person who is asleep. And so, When you look at a person sleeping, it's a good analogy for what death is like. Death for the Christian is like sleeping. At death, we are cut off from communication with the living world. Just like when we sleep. Except it's more permanent. It is a departure from experience in this life. That's what Paul calls it in verse 23. I would rather depart I would rather die, depart this existence. But our personal sense experience does not end at death. It does not stop. Rather, for Christians, when we die, we simply transfer in our soul into another kind of conscious existence. We live in Christ, even though we die. And so we don't go to sleep. And that was a heresy that was taught in the, in the church in, 
in some places is still taught in the church. No, we continue to live in our spirit when we die. We just live in another kind of existence. And what is that existence? Well, Paul says it here. Verse 23, he says, My desire is to depart, to die, and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, not even death. When Christians die, our bodies, our flesh, are laid in the ground. They're buried until the resurrection. This is what would have happened to Paul had he been executed here. The authorities would have killed his body, for sure. But Paul would still live because Christ lives. In fact, Paul understood this, which is why he desired to die, because he knew about his conscious existence that was on the other side of the grave. If, it was, if he was thinking about a kind of soul sleep, I'm not sure that he would be saying these kinds of things, that it's far better. I would rather be completely unconscious to the world and without any communication with Christ whatsoever, for that's far better. That doesn't make any sense. He's thinking about being with Christ after death. And he says it is far better. No, Paul would still live even though he died. The spiritual death that should have been Paul's experience and our experience because of sin would not happen to Paul at death. Spiritual death will not happen to us when we die. Why? Because Christ died. We won't experience forsakenness by God at death because Christ was forsaken by God on the cross. Jesus experienced forsakenness by God on the cross so we who believe in him would never cease having fellowship with Christ even at death. Death for us then, friends, is a temporary separation from fellowship with living believers in this age. It is a temporary departure. We will be reunited with one another after death, at the resurrection. And so it's a kind, that is why Paul, Jesus, the scriptures can refer to death as a sleep. Certainly when Christians die, they are cut off from interaction with those who are still alive. But it's only temporary for believers. And so there is a separation a divide between communication with those who are still alive and the one who has passed on, gone on to be with Christ. But our communion with Christ never ends. It does not stop. There is no interruption. There is an interruption between our communication and other believers on this side of the grave, but there is no interruption in our fellowship with Christ at death. To live is Christ. He dwells in us by his spirit. We saw that last week in this life. We live and move and have our being in Christ. Our souls are ready for heaven, but they are not yet perfected. But we still have communion with Christ. His spirit dwells within us as we live. And at death, we depart this flesh in our souls to be with Christ. And so our communion with Christ is not for one millisecond suspended. It does not stop at death. Not for one second. Your communion 
can never be severed between you and Christ, between you and your God. Now, though our fellowship with Christ is not broken at death, there is a difference, though. There is a difference between the two experiences of fellowship with Christ in this body, in this age, in this flesh that our spirit resides in. There's a difference between this experience of Christ and fellowship with Christ immediately after death. Paul says to live is Christ. Whether I'm in prison, whether I'm free, it doesn't matter. Living for Paul is Christ. But at death, Paul simply says, to die is gain. To die is gain. So there has to be a difference. If what Paul is saying here is true, then there is something in this life as a Christian that is lacking, that Paul gains when he dies. Whatever that thing is that Christians don't have here in the flesh, we get there after death. That's what it means to gain something. To die is gain. If you have a certain amount of money and you put it in a checking account, a checking account, unless you continue to put more money in that checking account, the balance will not grow. It stays the same. In fact, it will probably fluctuate. It will, you have to take money out and you put more money back in, it goes down, but if you don't put more money in than when you first deposited it, it won't increase. It just sits there the same. But that same amount of money is invested, if it's invested in a savings account or a good stock that earns interest, and you don't touch that money, then it will gain over time. At the end of a time period, you will have more money at the end than you deposited in the beginning because it gains interest. It gains more than you first invested. Well, Paul says he gains at death. He receives something more at death than what he first had or has. Now, if we go back to the illustration, you compare the two scenarios of what you do with a certain amount of money. One, you're stuck with the same amount of money you started with. It just sits there. It doesn't grow. The second scenario, the money is, being, money is being added to your account. It's being added to your investment because it's gaining interest. Well, which situation is better? Well, it's an easy answer. The second one, because you're gaining money. You don't do anything. You just watch it grow. Of course, earning money is better. Well, Paul compares the two different types of experiences of fellowship with Christ, in the flesh, in this world, living in Christ. He can rejoice in this life because of his union with Christ through suffering. He's glad. He can rejoice. That joy comes from Jesus Christ in this life. But at death, he says, his experience of Christ is far better. He compares the two, and he says, this is far better. It literally reads, in the original, much more better. Now, why? How? Because at death, our souls are made perfect, friends. In our flesh, right now, as we live, sin disrupts our ability to know Christ better. It gets in the way. In our flesh, we struggle against temptation, against the devil, against the hatred of the world. We struggle against our own sin. We sin and we are sinned against. And that disrupts, on some measure, our fellowship with Christ on this side of the grave. 
Now, we can have joy in the midst of righteous suffering, as Paul did, but only to a certain degree, really. There's a ceiling in this life as a Christian as to how much of Christ we can know and have. And the reason for that ceiling is because of sin, our sin, among other things. It is because of our indwelling sin. Well, Paul says later that he wanted to become like Christ in his death. And what did Christ do at his death? Well, he died to the world. He was crucified to the world. Christ did not sin. He died because of sin. He died because of our sin. And in that sense, he was crucified to the world and he crucified our sin. He put the dominion of sin that was held over us and he severed it. Its lordship over our lives is severed. Once we embrace Christ in the gospel, we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin is not our master. Jesus is our master. And by Christ's resurrection, our glorification is guaranteed. The end is guaranteed. Your glorification at the end of the age, your glorious resurrection in body and soul, it's, it's guaranteed. It's certain because of Christ's resurrection. But even though Christ is our master here, we still fight against sin. We still fight against indwelling sin. But at death, at death, that fight is over. It's over. And we gain Christ all the more because there is no more disruption. There is no more fight. You have all of Christ in your soul without the nagging sin that takes you away from Him. And so we gain Christ all the more at death because of the, that reason. We are, our souls are perfected at death. At death. For this reason, Paul says something that is su- perhaps surprising here. We mentioned this last week. For us as Christians, even as Christians, and we, we believe this, we know this to be true, we still think, perhaps, I don't want to die. You think about death, I don't want to die. Now, there are different reasons why we say this. Some of them are good. Paul had good reasons to live. In fact, the injunction, the commandment to not murder, includes that you do everything in your power to sustain your own life. You don't put your own life at danger. You try to preserve your neighbor's life, but you also take care of your own life. And so it's part of fulfilling the law, keeping yourself alive. Paul had good reasons to live, to serve the, serve the church, to for their progress and joy in the faith. He says, it's more necessary on your account that I live. And so there should be a measure of wanting to live. That's a good thing, to want to live, uh, to keep, to sustain your life, to spare our loved ones the pain of the, the loss that might result at your death, and to continue to serve the kingdom of God. Those are good reasons to want to live. And there are bad reasons too. For example, if the sinful pleasures of this life make you want to stay alive, if that's what's making you want to hold on to this life, to enjoy them, well, then that's a reason that needs to be strongly reassessed. If you don't want to die because you so much enjoy the, the comforts and the pleasures, the, even the sinful pleasures of this life, that reason needs to be reassessed. Or maybe even as a Christian, you think about death and you think the pleasures and comforts here 
are far better than what I will experience there. That's probably more likely when you think about death. But look at what Paul says. Verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two, living and dying. I can't decide. This word hard-pressed is it's used in Luke chapter 8. The word that's, that's translated hard-pressed. It's used in Luke chapter 8. There Jesus had healed a man with a demon. And then we are told that the people of the country of the Gerasenes, this, this man was from this country, he was demon-possessed, Jesus healed him, but the rest of the citizens of this region were seized with fear. It's the same word. They were hard-pressed with fear. And they begged Jesus to leave. Now, Paul was not racked with fear here. He was not seized by fear. But you can get the force of this word, hard-pressed. He was seized in a way that he could not decide. I'm hard-pressed between the two. I'm seized between deciding between the two. I know that you need me in this life. It's more necessary. But when I think about death, that's far better. That's my desire. Because I gain Christ all the more. Now for, the most, for most of us, even as Christians, when we think about this, you know, living or dying, it's an easy answer. I want to live. <laughs> it's far better. I want to live. Living's pretty good. And there are good reasons for that, for sure. And there's lots of good things to be enjoyed in this life as a Christian. One of them, namely, is fellowship with Christ, serving the church, serving your family, but even enjoying the good things in this life. But what does Paul say when he looks at these two choices or two options? He says, my desire is to depart. He was referring to death, and he says that is far better because he could experience Christ in a sinless fully sanctified soul to be with Christ. That's what he considered to be far better. Now with this in mind, I don't think it was an accident that Paul said this in this way. He said, for to me, to live is Christ and to die gain. He mentions Christ in the first part, but not the second. And so, for example, he doesn't say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is to gain Christ. He just says, To die is gain, which leaves us wondering what does he really mean and would leave the Philippians wondering what does it mean to gain at death. Nor did he tell the Philippians this is how all of us should think when we think about life and death. He doesn't come out and say this is how you should think. You You need to consider death as far better than life in Christ on this side of the grave. What does he say, though? He says, for to me, to me, this is how I feel, to live as Christ and to die is gain. This is how I think about life and death as a Christian, is what the apostle says. This is how I consider death. It's gaining, because I gain Christ all the more. No more sin. No more disruption in my fellowship with the Savior who loves me. And whom I love. Now he just simply says, no, to me, to me, this is how I feel. When I think about these two scenarios, I desire to depart, to be with Christ for that is far better. I'm torn between the two. And so by putting it this way, I think Paul was inviting his hearers to do the same. 
I think it was an invitation for his hearers to think about death a little bit more, to think about what it means to die as a Christian, to think about the experience you will have as a Christian in your soul when you die. I think he put it this way in order to invite his hearers to do the same. And friends, it's an invitation to us as well. To Christ be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Let's pray, friends. Our Father and our God, we give you all praise and glory. We thank you, O Lord, for the great work of redemption that you have accomplished in your Son. We thank you, Father, that by his death he has crucified us to the world. He has severed our relationship to sin and the devil. He has permanently placed us on the path of righteousness and the path towards resurrection. We thank you, Father, that in our inner being, we have the power of the Holy Spirit who renews us and who orients us towards heaven. We pray, Father, that you would help us as Christians on this side of the grave to contemplate what we will have when we die that we might join with Paul in being hard-pressed between the two, that we might join with Paul in desiring to be with Christ at death, for we know and understand that that is far better. So, Father, we pray as you do this work in us and as we contemplate the greater joy that we have on the other side of the grave, we pray that that knowledge would shape how we live today that we might live to magnify Christ, whether by life or by death. And so we pray that you would do this good work in your people to the praise of your glory. Father, we lift up to you now the nations of the world and for our nation. We pray, uh, Father, that your mercy would be upon them all. We pray, O Lord, for kings and all those in high places, that your people would be able to live peaceful lives, godly in every way, for this is pleasing in your sight. For you, O God, desire that all people would come to a knowledge of the truth. And we pray that this unchanging truth that would come to people in every land and that the peace and stability that you provide in the nations of the world would help to spread the gospel. Father, we pray for our leaders. We thank you for the civil leaders in this country that you have raised up. We pray that you would be merciful to them and lead them by your spirit, give them wisdom from above. We pray, Father, for our missionaries whom you've sent out into the world to bring the gospel uh, to all people. We pray this morning as we think about the Jacksons serving in Uganda, we pray that you would be with uh, Reverend uh, Jackson and his preaching and teaching and his labor there. We pray that you would cause fruit to grow in this region as the elect are drawn to the good news and as the, uh, the saints are built up. We pray, Father, that you would be with those individuals, those leaders and servants who uh, are seeking to plant faithful, Christ-exalting churches in this region. We think of Good Shepherd OPC in Houston, New Braunfels OPC. We pray for Reverend Sumter and uh, for other uh, church planters and leaders and uh, whole churches that seek to establish themselves as Uh, salt and light in this region. Father, be with them all. Father, we lift up to you now the needs of our church. We pray for those struggling with sickness and pain. We pray that you would give them strength in your 
in their inner man by your spirit. Father, give them uh, the freedom that is found in, in the spirit of Christ and in uh, trusting in your promises. We lift up to you this morning Arlene Rogers, Kathy Norris, Jim Witt, William Scott, Chris Doobie's parents, all who face cancer. We pray, Father, that you would be merciful to them, draw near especially to uh, Tony and Chris Doobie as they care for Chris's uh, parents and all that they face. Father, we pray for the elderly and for all that they face in uh, this life. We ask that you would be merciful to Eileen, Dorothy, Kay, Joyce, Jean, Hal, Alan, Corey's mother, Hikari, Rosalie. We ask, Father, that your grace and your infinite comfort and mercy would be upon the Broccolo family. Father, bless them and keep them. Make your face to shine upon them. We ask that you would draw near to the Milam family as they continue to grieve the loss of loved ones. Father, grant your gracious healing to Claire Deesing, to Iona Engelbrecht. We pray, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would alleviate their pain. We pray, Father, that they would draw near to you and um, be with those who minister to them. Father, we lift up to you uh, our beloved young men who have gone off and to find jobs and to the various uh, new uh, paths of life. We consider Danny Spranger and uh, we consider uh, Johan Agron. We pray, Father, that you would uh, be with these men, fill them with your spirit and establish them in, in righteousness in Christ. Father, we thank you for the Akorafor family. We ask that you would be with Apia and Chinwi and their children, Okay, Chigozi and Chimela. We thank you for their faith and for their love for Christ and for their participation in this body. We ask, Father, that your spirit would wash over them and grant them peace like a river and provide for all of their needs. Give them a home in which they might settle down and raise their children and glorify you. We pray, Father, that you would fill our hearts with compassion and mercy toward them, that we would serve all of their needs. Father, we thank you for the Akorafors. We pray that you... Uh, would continue to be merciful to them to the praise of your glory. Father, we ask that you would be merciful and gracious to our expectant mothers as we think of Rebecca and Emerald uh, this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you, O Lord, for the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the joy that is to come, both at death and at the resurrection when Christ comes again. Father, fill our hearts with rejoicing and gladness in him. We commit all these things to you, our Savior, Through Jesus, our Savior and King, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved, as the deacons come forward now, we now have the opportunity to give to the work of the church in this age. May the Lord Jesus Christ be pleased uh, to multiply the fruit from our sacrifices. Amen.
If you would now turn in your hymnals to page 851, if you need to do so, there you will find the Apostles' Creed, which we will profess together as a confession of our faith in the gospel of Christ. And let us all stand together as we do so, friends. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved, if you would now turn in your hymnals to hymn 282, uh, hymn 282, I greet thee who my sure redeemer art. Hymn 282.
Amen. Friends of God, receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.